Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're chatting everything Raptors in this edition of Hoopsology. Matt and Justin welcome producer and host of the Raptors show on Sportsnet 590 to fan and Bitman to discuss how the Raptors are adjusting to losing Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam, a new head coach, basketball culture in Canada, and the recent controversial calls within the NBA. Hoosology is presented by Ball's Life. You're going to really enjoy this interview as we discuss everything Toronto Raptors in terms of how they're trying to make the plan despite all their um, kind of recent struggles as of late. Um, Amit was a great guest. And again, I would sound like a uh, broken record, but it is a must listen if you're a fan of the Toronto Raptors. This is a great interview. And now, without further ado, Amit Mann. He is the producer and host of the Raptors show on Sportsnet 590, the fan. We welcome Amit Mann onto Hoopsology. Welcome. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it very much. How are we all doing? How are things? I understand you guys are south of me, which is awesome. I'm, I'm surprised you guys are reaching out to me. I was just expressing that beforehand, but hey, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, happy for you to come on. Um, when just looking at all the teams in the NBA, I've always been compelled about the Raptors. I just I think they're one of the coolest teams in the NBA, and just especially with just the growth of basketball within Canada and just everything that's happened with the Raptors um, recently in this era of the game. I, I think it they, they are always relevant. So just want to kind of pick your brain on several topics. So um, sure. let's start with just the the All Star break is now concluded, and the Raptors have won three in a row at this recording of this podcast. So um, we haven't talked too much Raptors. Uh, to admit that up front. So can you just give us kind of a rundown in terms of how you felt the Raptors have fared through, you know, through the all-star break and then what you're seeing in terms of their expectations of possibly making the play in tournaments. That's a possibility within the Eastern conference, or he's looking for just more development of just the younger core of the Raptors and just them adjusting um, with missing just Fred Van Fleet and then Pascal Siakam as well. Yeah, I mean, they definitely want to make the play, and they've uh, they've said that already. That is their goal. Um, how legitimate it is, how likely it is. I mean, that's another conversation. They're currently four games out of the play-in picture with uh, two teams to jump. But once Trey Young went down, unfortunately, for for a month or so, it does seem like there's a bit of a window that maybe they can slip in there if they can get on a bit of a win streak. And they are on a three-game win streak, the first one they've had all season. And they're pretty pumped about that. I'm sure everyone kind of saw the headlines about a pizza party. Just mm-hmm. to make it clear, um, the the meat. I'm not sure who came up with it, but Darko didn't offer a pizza party. He offered to take them out to dinner. It was going to be like a yeah. nice, <laughs> a nice dinner. He wasn't going to get them pizza. I think someone on social kind of made a joke out of it, and it just kept on keeping on until you know they finally got a three game win streak going, and they've had a few two game win streaks, but they never got to three. And so the joke just kept on persisting. And then here we are now where they actually got it. And obviously everyone, I ran with it too. It was kind of funny, the pizza party <laughs> thing, but anyways, they do have three in a row. Um, they've been playing great. Like, honestly, I mean, it was Rick Carl after the game yesterday against the Pacers is that he said, uh, Hey, I mean, these guys, like they're legit. 
And that means something, right? This is a, a coach that's seen the Raptors already a couple times, and he also saw them, um, you know, a few weeks ago. So he has um, an idea of what that team was then and what they are now. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to be too much of an optimist here because the season hasn't, it's been a very odd season, um, back-to-back odd seasons for the Toronto Raptors, it feels like. But uh, this current team, it feels like they're gaining an identity. And we haven't been able to decisively say that, I think, for a few seasons. And even if there was an identity, it wasn't something that we want to buy into because we didn't really believe it was going to work, right? Uh, Vision 6-9 is like definitely gone and they they doubled down on it a few times and it just wasn't necessarily the way that they were going to be able to win games. But under this new coach, this new system, offensively, defensively, I think we're seeing a lot of buy-in. The players they brought in at the deadline over the course of this season through some trades with Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, um, they're just great fits for what Darko's system, um, what he wants the the skill set to be of the players that he brings in. It's a perfect match. And I think we're seeing a lot of players enjoy being in the system currently. So you mentioned Darko and I saw the, the the post game where they were talking about the pizza party. I think he said, I'm going to take you guys out to something nicer than just pizza. Um, yes. And yes. I just want to, the vibe in that locker room, I noticed despite the record, it was very kind of easy going. And just like, I, I realized they just won the game, but I just, I don't know that I just got a sense that this is like, like a tight locker room it is, am I far off on that? Or do you just think they're just happy because they won? It's, the vibe has seemed different compared to other NBA locker rooms, their camaraderie. Yeah. I mean, a bit of column A, a bit of column B. Um, yeah. I think they are gaining some chemistry. You And I think they wanted to get players on the same timeline. And you can just imagine if you have a bunch of players who are 32, 30, 29, and then a bunch of guys who are like 21, 22, they can coexist and they can be cool, but will they have like a lot of chemistry? It's just like you're in different uh, stages of your life, right? And so it can be difficult necessarily to gain that kind of chemistry, especially when it's compounded by losing. And they were losing a lot. And this is also a lot of very prideful players. We're going back to Pascal and OG and, and Fred. Is all, they're all great players, right, in their own right. But sometimes the puzzle pieces just don't necessarily fit with all when you're trying to build a team. And I think that's what we were kind of seeing. Uh, they didn't have enough shooting. They didn't have enough uh, skill versatility. They didn't have enough guard play. And so the seasons have gone the way they, they went. But, you know, now I think everyone kind of sees a vision, right? They're seeing that if we have a bunch of players who can, you know, run a pick and roll, who can pass the ball, who can shoot the ball, who can run in transition, who can cut off ball, who are willing screeners, you put that all together along with some, obviously some um, intensity on the defensive end, some energy, some feistiness, you know, you might have something that could be pretty interesting, especially with, you know, I think they have overall, I think they have probably gained a bit more depth through these trades. You know, they didn't haven't had a backup center for, I don't know, three seasons. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. Christian Coloco drafted him a few years ago. He had some, I believe he's had some heart issues or lung issues. And so his current career has kind of, um, it's a bit, a, a bit of a, at a standstill, unfortunately. And uh, they had to drop him, but he was probably going to be the guy that was looked at as like the center of the future. But, you know, he hasn't played at all this season. And I think he's, he was put on waivers. So but when that happens, like you're again, you're, you're, you think you have some depth at the center position and you don't, it just goes away. Um, but they've done a good job of retooling through some of these trades. And, you know, I, I honestly, I think there is something kind of cool with what this team currently is, how good they can be. I mean, we're still figuring it out. Like I think a lot of teams are adjusting to their new play style. And while it is a play style, I think that is, you know, it's a, it's a style that you can, has consistency. It has uh, some life to it. Um, eventually te- teams are going to, you know, game scheme around it and it will be 
harder for them to score and to get, you know, kind of these possessions off as they are currently doing it again, especially against the Pacers yesterday. But for the time being, I think it's interesting. I think fans are into it, into it. And I think the players are buying into this, you know, instinctive cutting kind of style, read and react uh, version of this offense. How much of a, a pivot was the style, you know, transitioning from, you know, coach Nick nurse to coach Darko now? I mean, how, how big of a shift has that been? I think the casual fan or maybe just the fan who hasn't been watching the Raptors this year, I mean, kind of what folks here, I think with mainstream narratives is just everything with the Raptors right now is Scotty Barnes. It's all centered around him, which mm-hmm. we know, of course he was on the all-star team. He's, he's great. Um, <laughs> But what are you seeing with that system and how it differs from what they used to run under Coach Nurse? Yeah, it's a stark difference. It's a pretty stark difference. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and now this isn't against Nick Nurse. I think he looked at the crop of players that he had and he felt like this was a way in which they could get good offensive possessions, you know, possession by possession, which I understood. I could I could see why he was feeling that way, but it was very stagnant. It didn't have a lot of off-ball movement. It was a, a lot of just like isolation and then you create an edge, you create an advantage, you kick it out, swing, swing, three, that kind of thing, penetrate, kick out, then you're able to get the defense in rotation. But with this style, um, it's, as I said, it's much more read and react. Like you are relying on players understanding what the defense is throwing at them, being willing to make that, you know, quick penetration, kick it out, uh, make that kick pass. And then you're hoping that the guy that you're passing to is going to, you know, shot fake, slight rip through, high rip through, low rip through. And then they're either going to take a shot, they're going to move on. And it's just like this constant cycle of motion that they're hoping to get from all the players on the court. And uh, yesterday, probably against the Pacers, it was the best version we've seen of that. Um, Obviously, you're facing the Pacers. Not a great defensive team, right? You got to keep that in mind. (laughs) However, um, I saw a... uh, uh, a desire to just get into the next action and they weren't getting into isolation. There wasn't a lot of uh, stagnant, uh, stagnant ball movement. It was moving with purpose. It was moving with force. They were decisive. And when you're doing that, especially in a system like this, and you have players that can get, get downhill and that's really important, right? You need players that can actually touch the paint and then being able to, you know, force the defense to collapse and you can kick it out. And then you need guys that can also read and react. And I think they're finding a nice blend of that currently. Um, and players are kind of embracing it. And obviously the depth definitely helps them being able to go like legit, you know, eight players, nine players deep definitely helps right now. Yeah. Sounds like kind of a tough type of scheme for a younger team to put into place. I mean, do you think um, it, it is maybe, kind of um, withheld wins at the start of the season, you know, kind of made it slow progress for them to learn that type of system. Sure. And also, I mean, when it comes to a system, um, it is a system. And so you need players to buy into that system. That's why I mentioned buy-in earlier. Um, I mean, Pascal, OG, even if they bought into the system, they may not have like the archetype to really thrive in something like that, which is about, you know, quick acceleration being able to make quick movements and being able to cut and create um, advantages through your cutting with speed and, and the force that I mentioned, and they're just not really geared that way. They're a bit more methodical with how they run (coughs) similar to Scotty Barnes, but Scotty's accompanied by, you know, RJ Barrett and quickly and Gary Trent jr. Too. He's, he's got a quick trigger. So you have a lot of, players that can do things fast in whatever fashion that makes them successful. 
And when you pair that all together, you could have a system that looks kind of cool, looks uh, look, looks it pops. And they brought in Bruce Brown; he's been pretty good too. Um, a bit up and down sometimes, sure, but uh, I like this his ability to make like these intuitive reads on the fly. Um, obviously, his experience through you know the Nets and being a, a, a complimentary piece on a championship team like the Nuggets last season, it's definitely helped him. And he's been a pretty good addition, pretty consistent on, on that side of things. And then Kelly Olenek, I mean, I can't say enough about him. He's been, he is a perfect fit for this system. I look at him and RJ Barrett and I'm like, it's less like you found the matching glove. Those two guys. Um, I want to ask you about Grady Deck. Um, I think you did an interview with him, correct, on Summer League. And yeah. I, I was just struck by his poise and just his maturity of being Same. so young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's on a hot streak lately, um, shooting about 46% the last 16 games. Uh, can you kind of explain where that swagger and confidence comes from and where you kind of see the ceiling for him? Oh, he was born with it. <laughs> and he's mentioned that he's uh, gotten some of that swagger through his parents, through the, his parents have been a heavy influence on his progress in basketball. And I think it's his ability to just move on to the next shot. Right. And he mentioned that to me in summer league and he's saying the same things, you know, lately is that, Hey, like I, I know I can make shots. Uh, I know I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to just keep on putting the work in head down and just keep on pushing forward. And that's all it is. Like it's sometimes, you know, it, it is kind of that simple that you just don't relent from the process. You rely on the process because you trust your process. And eventually you just hope that it's going to get figured out. And um, he did go on a conditioning stint midway through the season. He played with the team early on for a little while. He was sent down to the 905. It didn't go very well. And then he went on like a two week conditioning stint. And he has said that he feels a little bit stronger in his core, especially. And if you can imagine like, you know, not having enough core strength or just like that extra boost of being able to keep balance on defense when you're running around screens, you're not being pushed off as much. You're able to maintain um, your two feet. Um, things like this do help a person, you know, shoot better. And it didn't really feel like it was ever a strength thing. It just felt like sometimes he was kind of aiming the ball or kind of like catapulting it. Um, he does have kind of a high release and he wasn't getting the arc that he really needed, but you know, lately, over the past, you know, two, three weeks or so, uh, I think since like probably what, mid-January, since he came back, it's been pretty steady and he's making the shots that we thought he would make. And this is why the Raptors drafted him. They thought he would be an instant fit with the team that they had earlier on in the season and that most of that team's gone now. Um, but uh, now with this version, like he's he's great. He's been awesome. And, you know, his, his potential is... Uh, yeah, what could I mean? What could he be? I think something that's been thrown around is like you know Pete Gordon Hayward, right? That hmm. kind of player, yeah. and that would be like really impressive because I think he's a he's probably a better shooter than Gordon was. But you know Hayward, man, like he was able to get downhill, he was able to cause havoc down there, he was able to uh, push the pace, and he was a big great dribbler. I don't know if Grady has all of those things, but that's something to shoot for, and I think that'd be a tremendous player. So I also want to ask you, Amit, just kind of changing gears to officiating has been a very hot topic within the last couple of weeks. Um, (laughs) I saw Darko's rant as well, um, just about the officiating. And we've interviewed some previous guests, and they've seemed to be of different thoughts about this. Some They think that maybe there's overreaction to the officiating, yet you see on mainstream media, there's like a, there's a call for an overhaul in terms of removing just the that official's report after the game has concluded. Where do you see the officiating now? Do you think it's a real problem or do you think it's certain situations? Like you follow the Raptors. Is this a 
situation where it's actually hurting the product on the floor or do you think people overreact? I don't know. It's a good question. Um, it's a hard thing to balance. I think sometimes I feel like officials are a little bit too sensitive with some of the players at points where you got to let them kind of voice their opinion. You got to let them um, have their say at points. Like there's a line to everything, but I think the line was a lot further away years ago. You know, officials would take it, take it on the chin a little bit more. They would allow the player to say their piece and then they'd move on. But it doesn't seem like that's the case as much. And some of the technical fouls, like I think part of it is the, the officials are, just enforcing the rules and the rules have changed. Like there's some of the things that are in the, the fine print of the new NBA rule book. Uh, a lot of the officials, like they're making the right call, but this is NBA decision. And they're trying to, what a player might say is like stifle emotion. They don't want guys beating on their chest. They don't want guys, you know, slapping the glass when they have a huge dunk. And I think they got to find a way to allow players to do that. Like there has to be room for emotion. Like you can't control some of these things. Like in a playoff game, you have a huge dunk. It's game four. You're about to take a three, one lead. You slap the backboard. You, you, you pump your chest, you push your teammate or something like that. And you're just having like, you're feeling the, the emotion of the crowd and the intensity of the moment. And then you get a tech, like, come on, <laughs> you know, it's like things like that, 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 that uh, kind of bother me a little bit, but other than that, I think the the officiating has been fairly consistent and probably we're more so talking about the NBA looking at how players are guarded or I guess not guarded, really, <laughs> because players have a lot of power these days um, and defenses could certainly use a little bit of that back. You think about hand checking, um, whatever the rules are, like you just have yeah. to kind of look at ways in which you can allow defenses to have some have some say in how a possession goes down and how they guard and how uh, they uh, they help on defense, their center recovers, how they're able to make digs on drives, things like this. They do impact uh, how much a, an offense is able to execute on that end of, of the court. And things like that could probably help. But other than the officials being a little bit too sensitive at points, I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I think most of them are pretty, pretty cool. But then you just have your days like, I mean, Ben Taylor, right? Fred Van Vliet, he had his famous quotes last season. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was that was ridiculous. Like it was ridiculous in a way that I can't believe. Like how eloquently Fred just ripped this man. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he was calm, cool, collected, but he ripped him to shreds. <laughs> right, and then yeah, this season with uh, with Darko, I remember that game too. Um, that was that was a shame, as Darko said, it was a shame. Yeah, I've, I also wonder, too, the, the other area, totally agree. I mean, great points there. The other area I still think is a problem for, you know, maybe the casual viewer. I, I find it a little bit tedious, too, is like the last two to three minutes of, of ball games where things are just yeah. constantly stopping. <laughs> I mm -hmm. think. No, um, that's a good. That's a good one too. Yeah. Kind of another another thing on my wish list, but I, I think you're right in in the sensitivity, especially when we were seeing those incidences with Anthony Edwards and Giannis earlier in the season, where they were getting you know, those, those are wild, man. Uh, just um, yeah, those are wild stuff. <laughs> yeah. Way too sensitive. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. The last two minutes of the game that used to be uh, an area where you'd let the teams kind of decide how things go, and it does feel like in in that Raptor game. Um, against the Lakers where Darko had those quotes. Um, that was a case, I think, where it felt like 
you can say this was a foul or that was a foul, but you can call a foul on every single possession if you really want to. Some at some point, just let the players decide how things are going to go. If there's something egregious, you know, a player gets slapped on the the hand and it impedes him from making a shot. Okay, but some of these ticky tack things, especially when you know a team's in the bonus and it's going to impact the outcome of the game, like yeah. I mean, it, it's a fine line. Um, it's not a, a perfect system in that way, but I, I would like to see them make some small tweaks there as well. That's a good point. So shifting gears to the rest of the Eastern Conference, um, pretty tight race at the moment. Um, we pass in some parts, yeah. In some parts, yeah. <laughs> We've asked some other some other guests in terms of how it's going to shake out in terms of the power teams. Um, and we've seen kind of the 76ers, you know, with Joel Embiid's battle injuries. You mentioned Trey Young. Like, where mm. do you see it kind of shaping out? I mean, even the Heat, you know, you know, they're struggling now, but you know the Heat are gonna make some noise in the playoffs despite how the record's going to be. So where do you kind of one four in a row? They're they making have. noise. They are they, yeah, they're doing pretty well, actually. I just I guess what I mean is just their, their reputation in terms of just, you know, they're kind of up and down. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So mm. just where do you kind of see it kind of shaping? Do you see kind of the traditional power teams of the Celtics and the Bucks, or do you see kind of a new team emerging there, maybe the Cavaliers or somebody else? Not the Cavaliers. Uh, I'm going to say that pretty firmly. Um, I like their story. Uh, I, I would like to point out their record versus teams above 500. Um, I don't have that that in, right in front of me, but if you search it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, this was actually something that it's a parallel to some early DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry teams that they just feasted mm. on every single team that was below 500. But you saw their record above 500. It was like, eh, you know, 500, a little under 500. A lot of games where they lost in crunch time. And then those are seasons where, hey, they lost in the second round. Um, <laughs> but uh, outside of that, I mean, I don't want to make it be a bit of a cop out here, but like the Knicks are really banged up. You just mentioned Joel Embiid. I think there are some reports that he could return in late March, but like what condition is he going to be in? Uh, the Miami Heat, I think they're they're you know bringing in Terry Rozier. I think it's a great addition for he's kind of exactly what they needed as well. You know, they need some more punch with the punch in their scoring department and Terry Rozier does that. He's a great isolation scorer and uh just Eric Spolster is probably one of the best coaches in the NBA, if not the best coach in the NBA. Jimmy Butler, Bam, like there's something that that's there, and also I mean they showed last season like that they can they can beat damn near anyone if they're healthy and they got uh, Eric Spolster behind them. So you never want to count them out. Outside of that, I mean we're talking Bucks Celtics. It it does feel like this might be the year the Celtics get over the hump. At least like they're going to the finals and. Um, assuming they're healthy and then from there i guess we'll see who they're facing um but chris asporzingis has opened up so much for them um and the fact that they're able to bring in drew holiday which in some ways kind of replaces marcus smart and what he was able to offer in some ways not everything but you know what i mean um that seems like a team that's like and they're gearing up too they won what eight in a row um they're kind of realizing too that it's time to step it up and and they're doing that so the knicks um, I would like to see them healthy if they're healthy. I think they could be a really fun team to watch in the playoffs. The Bucks, they're there. I don't know, man. It feels like we talk about team chemistry. I'm not sure where that team is currently. We'll, we'll talk maybe in two weeks and we can have a better idea, but um, I don't really trust Doc Rivers in playoff situations. Uh, <laughs> the resume is there, not in a good yeah. way. So yeah. I don't have any reason really to, to, to trust him in that way. And if it came down to a Bucks versus Heat series, which I think – would again be really fun, um, especially considering like the whole Dame thing where he wanted to go to the Heat and uh, <laughs> true the Blazers wouldn't just wouldn't trade him there. They just said nope, we're not going to do it. 
You're not going to go there. It's that simple. You're just not. We're just not going to do it. We're just gonna, not going to answer the phone. When Pat really calls us, we're not going to answer. That's what they did. Um, anyway, those kinds of teams are the ones that are catching my my interest. And in terms of Pacers, I got to see more. Because again, defensively, I just mentioned like they're they're pretty porous at times. Um, and if you want to be a team that goes deep in the playoffs, you got to be able to play at least a little bit of defense. And that's kind of that's kind of it. Um, yeah, I guess from that top six, I could see any team but the Cavaliers if they're healthy ending up in the conference final. But I still think the Celtics are the favorite. Yeah, good analysis there. I have to ask your opinion just as someone who watched coach Nick nurse. What are your thoughts on how he's done in Philadelphia uh, so far in his tenure there? Exactly what I thought he would do. Right. Nick nurse is a great coach. Um, he maybe uh, doesn't have the ear of every single player because of how hard he coaches sometimes. And I'm sure he learned some things from his time in Toronto and how things ended it from, from what I understand, there were a lot of players that are like, yeah, it's okay. If he goes, we're fine with that. Um, and maybe it was a need for, you know, a change of scenery from both, both ends. Um, as Nick mentioned, I believe he was in Philly at the time too, last season when uh, he was asked about his coaching future. And he's like, you know, I've been in Toronto for a long time. I think he was in Philly when he said that too. And now he's a coach in the 76ers. Um, anyways, um, I think he's done, he's done a bang up job, you know. Um, and I mentioned like the the system he had in last season with the Raptors and how I think he did it just because of the players he had versus what he thought you know, what he could design and what he could aspire and what he could, you know, come up with is and his Nick nurse, Matt scientist brain. There's a lot more there. And I think he's showing that this season. And it seems like, yeah, he learned a little bit from how things ended with the Raptors. Like Tyrese Maxey has said glowing reviews about him. Um, I'm sure other players have said great things about nurse. And I think he's, you know, he's learning probably to what's that line between pushing too hard with some players. And then you just factor in like he can scheme up any kind of any kind of design to to stop a star player. I was listening to JJ Redick um, and Luka Doncic a few weeks ago, and uh, JJ had uh, Luka on, and you know Luka was just talking about some of the defenses he's seen. And he's like, I've seen everything. I've seen the like I've seen box and one, and then JJ's like, who box and won you? And he's like Toronto, and then JJ's like Nick Nurse. He's like, yeah. Right. Like he, he, he doesn't care. He'll, he'll find a way to at least like that's his MO. He wants to stop the star player. He wants to make the second and third option player um, become a star. Right. And usually, you know, he's been right with that. And with the 76ers, if they're healthy, Joel Embiid is like, is, you know, Joel Embiid, which is, I'm not sure how likely it is that he's going to be that version of himself considering everything. But if he is like, they, they probably have the best player in every single series, arguably. Right. And, and that means something. And then you factor in him, his ability on defense. Uh, I think their depth is a little bit better, Buddy Heald's a great addition for them. Um, they could use that movement shooting, just the deception and decoys you can get from Buddy. He's such a, he's like a knockdown shooter. He's ridiculous. Um, it could be fun. It could be fun. But again, we got to see who's healthy when it comes to playoff time. Yeah. Just wanted to also ask just what you've seen over the last several years with, you know, basketball culture in, in Canada and Toronto overall, where is the fan base at? Does it feel like there's a pretty hardcore, well-established Raptors fan 
Um, you know, of course we had like, we are the North trending for a while there when they had that core, you know, back in the 2010s, uh, it's, it's really grown, you know, there've been shows like, um, you know, no dunks now, but the basketball Jones formerly that, I mean, one of their running bits was the Kenny Smith clip of give me some Raptor news, you know, I'm sure (laughs) sure you heard that, you know, which, which really, I mean, credit to the Raptors. I mean, they, as Justin mentioned earlier in the episode, I mean, they become a very, very credible, real NBA franchise, like legitimate. How are things looking? How is, you know, the fan outlook and and maybe the fan mm. numbers out there? Yeah, the past few seasons have taken a bit of a, a hit in, in that area because of how sure. they, they've yeah. gone. But but at the same time, like, yeah, there is a rabid fan base here. Um, the way they support the team now, I don't think is indicative of what the fan base is because it is like it's from coast to coast, right? Um, and it's truly like that. And any player that still, still comes by and like we had, you know, training camp in, in Victoria, BC, and I was fortunate enough to, to go there at the beginning of the season. And like a lot of the new guys are that they can't believe, like we're so far, we're five hours away from Toronto. And here we have this, again, this huge fan base. It's a really cool thing for any player, right. To have like, you're the national team, right. Yeah. Truly. Right. So it's, it's a different experience for a lot of these guys. And I mean, in terms of basketball in the country, it just continues to grow. Like, look at how many players are from Canada um, that are in the NBA, right? And it's just going to keep on going up. And these are your signs of, like, you know, some of the roots that of Vince Carter, right? I mean, he's a bit of a, a polarizing figure in this country with how things ended, especially, with, you know, nowadays, I think, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, a few days ago when he was asked, like, which jersey he would rock going into the Hall of Fame, if he does make it, he said the Raptors. And mm. so that spurred some conversations around here. And me personally, like he's irreplaceable to me. Yes, things didn't end they, the way they, they probably should have, um, at least for someone with his stature in my mind. But um, players like, you know, Corey Joseph, Jamal Murray, Tristan Thompson, like go down the line. Some of those guys from that generation of Canadian basketball players, they're going to say Andrew Wiggins. They're going to say that their favorite player was Vince Carter. And like he's the mm. reason why they picked up a basketball. Um, and, that's just, and it's just continuing. And uh, that evolution of basketball within the country, especially on the women's side, they, they've been great. They just qualified for the Olympics. And now the men did for the first time since, I believe, 1994. Um, you got Shea rocking like he's repping Canada hard. I hope he becomes a Raptor somehow, some way at some point in his career. Jamal Murray, come on over. <laughs> Either you guys could use some star power here. Um, yeah. It's just growing. I'll put it that way. And uh, it would be great if the Raptors were able to get themselves into contention at some point in the near future. I don't think it's going to be this season or the season after, but after that, who knows? We'll see. But and we'll be able to see, you know, that that crazy fan base side that I love so much, especially during those We the North days. Man, to your point, I mean, Team Canada beating Team USA. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it was like the C team of Team USA, but I hear what you're saying. Yes, I still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a win's a win, right? A win is a win is a win. Kyle Lowry famously said, "A win is a win is a win. Doesn't matter how you get it, just get the win." And they got it. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Can you please let our audience know where you can find you on social media and any other projects you're working on as well? Yeah, man. Um, so just on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at Amit underscore Man. Um, and I'll be on the Raptor show over the next few weeks, making doing some uh, some co-hosting. So that's going to be coming up pretty soon. But that's kind of it. Um, yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for coming out. Really appreciate it. No problem. 
Thank you for listening to Hoopsology, presented by Boss Life. If you have comments or questions about this episode, please email hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on all social media platforms.